Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by local publisher Your Story, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and game publisher based in the Winnipeg area. You can check them out at yourstory.ca and purchase any of their ebooks or their limited edition, high quality, first printing run of their 8.5 by 11 magazine style comics. Use one time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. On tonight's episode, given that we're all probably tired of thinking about Winnipeg Jets hockey that no longer exists, I thought I would talk a little bit about some of the other series that are currently ongoing because. We have had a very dramatic start to the first official round of the 2020 NHL playoffs. Calling the start historic would be, uh, I mean, obvious in some respects because we've never had hockey in a quarantine quite like this in the modern era, but there have also been just some downright absurd games that have taken place. And yeah, I mean, the opening night was one of the most interesting, entertaining, and very long uh, nights in NHL playoff history. I work like a normal 8 to 5 daily shift for most of my days, and that means, you know, 8 to 5 Eastern, right? And uh, Columbus-Tampa Bay was the first game of the day, and it started at 3 p.m. Eastern. I had time to finish my entire workday, spend a couple of hours running some errands and getting dinner, come back home, and still watch the rest of that game. Tampa Bay and Columbus went the full distance and then some. They went almost five full periods of overtime before fully resolving just an absolutely absurd game. I mean, you're talking about two and a half games worth of hockey played in one evening. And what's crazy is I think they have to play tomorrow at 3 p.m. again. And this was just the opening game of a potentially seven-game series. When you think about completely absurd outcomes, I really don't know if there's something crazier than going seven to eight periods of hockey in one sitting and somehow living to tell the tale. Ultimately, what it came down to was Columbus was very committed to basically being, you know, that one guy, I forget who his name was, um, it's the old Flames coach that used to be all about blocking shots, and everyone thought that he was like some kind of defensive mastermind, and he really wasn't, but his team, you know, basically uh, bled and sweat for him repeatedly to block as many shots as humanly possible, which is kind of how Chris Russell got his, I think, his reputation as this big, gritty, shutdown defenseman, even though Russell's not quite that. Columbus basically went with that game plan yesterday, which was to scrap and fight for every 50-50 battle, try and block as many shots as humanly possible, and just stay alive for as long as possible to try and get a lucky goal or a nice little counter here and there. The craziest thing is that it almost worked. I mean, Jonas Corposalo in net was just, I mean, I don't even know how you describe a performance like that. I think he stopped 87 or 88 shots on goal. And while I did not get to see the full game, which I don't think I could have actually sat through the full game because it was six or seven hours almost, I did hear like the the couple of goals that Tampa Bay actually scored before their game winner were, uh, I think, unluckier goals, you know, one or two own goals or something like that. So I don't know, man. Columbus basically tried to hold on for as long as humanly possible, but gave up so many scoring opportunities. And it was pretty clear that Tampa Bay was definitely the faster, fresher team. But that's not surprising. Columbus was coming off of like three games and four nights, and I highly doubt that they expected to play almost eight periods of hockey in their opening game of a series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, whom they swept last year. When you talk about an absolute marathon sprint, I I don't know if there's anything quite like that that we've ever seen before, especially uh, almost eight periods. I think it's the longest game in NHL playoff history and the third longest NHL game ever recorded. 
to put it in perspective, the longest NHL game was played back in like 1933, so it's been a very long time since anybody's been touching these records. Ultimately though, the hockey gods are very cruel, and despite Jonas Corposalo basically pulling the Scott Sterling of goaltending performances in the NHL, a, uh, a bit of a lucky shot that went off of, I think, Gavrikov and injured him, and then rebounded back towards Braden Point. Uh, Point fired a shot from around the face-off circles, like a higher area, and it just seemed to take a deflection past Corpusalo. Nothing you can do. Bit of a fluky goal, but that's how you decide game one. Now, some people said this, this felt like it decided the series. Knowing how the Blue Jackets are and what they just did to Toronto, I would not count them out of the, out of the series yet, and I feel like we're in for a real ride. The other two games were not quite as close. Calgary uh, beat Dallas 3-2, to and I heard that Dylan Dubé had a really monster performance, which I'm not super surprised by. Every time I've seen Dylan Dubé, I think he's been really impressive. I thought the Dubé line against Winnipeg was brilliant, especially later in the series. They just seemed to boss the Jets around, and I know that Dubé has significant offensive upside relative to being like a bottom six player, but he really flexed his muscles. I believe he had a, a goal and an assist or something like that. And when you talk about players who can win matchups as your depth forwards and provide you scoring depth, that's the kind of guy that I, I would point to. You know, everyone will talk about Milan Lucic's comeback performances and whatever, but it's ultimately down to Dylan Dubé being one of the primary drivers of that line and somebody who I think down the road is going to be a key player for the Flames. They have a couple of guys like that that I feel like are just waiting to have big breakout performances. Dubé is one of them. Andrew Mangiapane, I feel, is somebody that has some kind of untapped upside. We've definitely seen good performances from Mangiapane, but I think he has another gear. And if everything breaks right in a season or two, I think uh, Matthew Phillips, whenever he makes the jump to the NHL, would be a really fun, dynamic player. You know, he's very undersized. He kind of has that Goudreau stature, and I feel like his offensive skill set which is to basically be an unholy terror around the net and snipe a lot of really tight angle goals, is going to make him a unique offensive threat at this level of hockey. We don't really see many players like uh, Matthew Phillips, let alone Johnny Goudreau, so I'm curious to know how he performs. I really want to see him in a Flames uniform sooner rather than later because he's just such a unique talent and somebody who I feel like can be a big difference maker, but we'll have to wait a little bit longer to see him. The last game of the evening was Vegas versus Chicago, and that one I don't think was particularly close. Vegas won 4-1, and I don't think that anyone should be particularly surprised. Chicago got through the play-in round against a pretty weak Edmonton Oilers roster, but I feel like Vegas presents a significantly more uphill challenge, in part because Vegas is one of the best teams in the NHL. It probably won't be a sweep, but I also would not be shocked if it is a sweep, because, let's be honest, Vegas is that good, and when they're playing at the peak of their performance... The Knights are a scary team. I have them as a sleeper pick to try and win the Cup this year because I think that they have that potential to be a really dominant squad. Up next, I'll be talking a little bit about some of today's games, and there were actually some surprising outcomes, and I feel like uh, you'll be you'll be interested to hear about some of these surprise games. Even though the scorelines might not be surprising, I think some of the performances at an individual level were a lot more uh, competitive than you might expect. Everyone loves competitive things, including pricing, because after all, who doesn't love to save money? When it comes to buying car parts, though, it's often a bit of a chore. I mean, you have to know what kind of make, year, model, and car part you actually need. Sometimes you even need something as specific as a serial number for a really obscure part if you've got an older vehicle. It can be hard to know where to start, especially if you're only familiar with retail brick-and-mortar auto parts stores. RockAuto.com has your back. 
RockAuto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use, intuitive website allows you to filter by make, year, model, as well as the price range on the parts you want to pay so you always get what you need at the price you need. Whether you're an amateur DIYer or an automotive expert, you can always rest assured that everyone pays the same prices no matter their experience level. Whether you need a new engine control module or a new floor mat, rockauto.com has what you need in stock. If you place an order, be sure to use Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Again, that is rockauto.com. Hockey again resumed today with yet more games, and of course, I'm going to talk about them because that's all I have to cling to nowadays with the Jets out of the playoffs. But we don't talk about that. We skip over that fact because no one wants to be upset about Jets hockey like we normally are. We only like the good stuff, and we kicked off today with a pretty good game between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Boston Bruins. Uh, But for some reason, apparently all the Eastern Conference teams collectively agreed that the only way that they can ever win these things is in overtime, and it actually took two overtimes, almost two overtime periods, for Boston to beat Carolina 4-3. to There were some incredibly great plays, including a wonderful Pasternak assist, I believe on the game-tying goal for Boston, uh, but really this was just a really seesaw battle between Boston and Carolina, although it sounds like Boston ended up having the edge. I was only able to catch pieces of the game and some of the highlights, but the Bruins look a lot more like what they used to be before they went through the round robin and kind of slept walked their way through the entire process. The demise of one of the best teams in hockey was apparently greatly overstated because Boston was definitely up for business and looked like a pretty good team. And then after that, we had New York Islanders versus the Washington Capitals. Uh, this one was actually resolved in regulation, and wow, yeah, the Caps were not particularly good. The thing with the Islanders is like they're a very decent, uh, well-rounded team, but they don't exactly have a whole lot of goal-scoring punch. So... They often rely on being very opportunistic, and then once they have a certain lead, Trotz then kind of engages the shutdown, lockdown, play conservative, hockey, dump and chase kind of stuff. Trotz's methodology is very uh, systematic and a very consistent process, and again, he's done that with the Islanders. In this game, Washington basically got stifled, especially around the slot area, and uh, the New York goaltender, who I think was uh, Varlamov today, really didn't have that much work to do. Unfortunately for the Isles, the Caps' power play is very good even when the Caps' even-strength play is not, and TJ Oshie bagged himself a couple of goals. Uh, of course, the Islanders, before I believe the end of the first or second period, uh, added one like cheeky goal right before the end that I think Braden Holtby definitely wanted back. It was just a bit of a lobbed wrister that just seemed to elude him for some reason. And then I think right at the start of the third period, it might have been... Uh, Anders Lee, I believe, was the one who scored the game-tying goal, and and Anders Lee had already injured Nick Backstrom on a bit of a a cheeky hit early in the first period, so Lee's fingerprints were kind of all over this game. And then from there, the Caps were still not able to generate much, but they got a power play towards the middle part of the period. Everything was kind of looking up, and then the Caps surrendered a a shorthanded goal to Josh Bailey, and from there, the Caps just totally collapsed. Anthony Beauvillier added a fourth goal for the Islanders not long after, and Washington just looked kind of lost. The Caps have not been very good uh, over the past couple of games, and I feel like we're starting to see that maybe there need to be some changes down the road. The Caps are definitely old, and I think that kind of comes with the territory of having won a cup with this current core. The understanding was always that long-term there was going to be pain, and I think that Washington was comfortable with that because they, look, they knew the score, they knew what they had to do in order to get Ovechkin a cup and Backstrom a cup as well, 
and they knew what that cost was going to be, and it was going to be that this roster was almost going to be unfixable no matter what happened you know, over the next five or so years. So Washington is now in kind of a tough position because they extended Backstrom with a massive deal. Ovechkin's about to expire on his current contract. Carlson is just beginning his long-term deal. There's a lot of tied-up money on big uh, veteran players who are definitely towards the end of their careers. And you need cash for some of the younger players, but the, the Caps just don't have a whole lot of room to work with. So they tend to sign like a lot of these depth contracts, guys to $2.5 million or so, who actually are all very good value contracts. I mean, these players are the kinds of depth players that you know, $2 million for three or four years is pretty good value. The problem is, is they still have to figure out a, a way to pay Jakob Vrana, and I don't really know how they're going to do that. I think that the Caps are kind of in a, a bit of a tenuous situation in the sense that they don't have a whole lot of room to work with, and I think that this playoff performance really highlights the fact that Washington long-term is in a bit of trouble, especially if this team is not able to put up a better playoff performance than it did against the Isles. New York honestly isn't in a much better situation because the Isles don't have a whole lot of cap room and they're also kind of a bit pressed for goal scoring talent. I mean, this is a squad that has really struggled to put it home, especially when they've been decent at creating chances. Now, where the Isles may lack offensive talent, they do have plenty of goaltending and a pretty sturdy defense. That's something that the team as a whole is structured around limiting goals against because they certainly know that goals for are going to have to be a bit opportunistic, or come from like the top two lines. The rest of the lineup just isn't equipped to handle a lot of goal scoring or depth offense, and that's where the Islanders are going to be in a lot of trouble, especially if Washington starts to recover form and those depth matchups start to tip against them. The Caps have firepower all up and down their lineup, and guys who are underrated skill players and offensive drivers, especially guys like Richard Ponick, Lars Eller, different players like that. Eller's out for this series, I believe, or at least a, a couple of weeks because he went to see his baby daughter's birth, I believe. A huge congrats to the Eller family. But otherwise, you know, you have plenty of other players who, you know, play a really important role for this Caps team, especially in those depth matchups on, on the penalty kill and different things like that. And ultimately, I do think at some point those players are going to start showing up, as well as the top six, really, because I think the top six needs a bit of an offensive push. New York is going to have to hope that Varlamov and, to a lesser extent, Grice are prepared for whatever the Caps are going to throw at him because I have a feeling that Todd Reardon is not going to be happy with the way Washington played today. In a little bit, I'll talk about some of the other games that took place today and kind of walk through some of tomorrow's games because there are going to be some juicy matchups uh, all throughout the afternoon and evening. But before then, I wanted to circle back to something that I thought you'd be interested in, especially because it's a Winnipeg thing. I am, of course, talking about Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, novel, and game publisher based in the Winnipeg region. Right now, they're currently working on launching a line of comic books, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. I've read the first issue, and the closest way I could describe it is X-Files meets Mad Men, with a very gritty, Sin City-esque vibe and uh, art style. Now, I very much love supernatural alternate history novels and stories, so this is exactly the kind of thing that I'd totally dig. But what I think makes it really fun is that, especially for those of you who are from Winnipeg, I'm, I'm not, I'm, a, you know, of course from Baltimore, but the rest of you who are listening are probably 
you know, very familiar with Portage and Maine, which that famous intersection certainly makes an appearance. And there's always like a local Winnipeg flavor to everything that you see in these comics. But your story are more than just a comics group. They're also publishing a fun, family-friendly game called Alien Machine Glow in the near future. If you want to learn more about Alien Machine Glow or any of their comics, be sure to visit yourstory.ca to purchase their ebooks or their limited edition, high-quality, first printing run of their 85 by 11 magazine-style comics. Be sure to use promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order for the first time. Again, that is one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order at yourstory.ca. If you can believe it, there was more hockey today than I already talked about. And actually, there's a game ongoing right now between the Vancouver Canucks and St. Louis Blues that's currently tied 1-1 heading towards the end of the first period. But since that game isn't over yet, we're going to pretend it doesn't exist. One game that definitely did exist that Arizona probably wished didn't was Colorado beating Arizona 3-0. That scoreline is not great, uh, although it went scoreless for almost the entire game until the end of the third period. What is not so great for uh, Arizona is that they got trounced. Darcy Kemper was the only one keeping them in the game that they got outshot 40-14, to which is pretty ridiculous when you think about it. That is uh, not a performance that Rick Tockett's going to be pleased with, and I think that the uh, the Yotes are in a decent amount of trouble because Colorado is the kind of team that can com- repeatedly come at you with all sorts of waves of pressure, and they have a lot of really good scoring talent. Getting blown up like that in your first game of a potentially seven-game series but is likely to be shorter is not a great sign if you're the Yotes. Uh, Colorado, of course, is a team that I have quietly pegged as one of the top Stanley Cup contenders for this year. They're one of the only squads that I think could go up full strength against a team like uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and not really break a sweat. Colorado is flipping good, and they are a real danger to any of the teams that they have to face. The final game of the evening was a very interesting one between Philadelphia and Montreal. Now, you'd probably think that the Flyers, who are another uh, potential cup contender, were going to be pretty good against the Montreal Canadiens, and they were for a portion of the game. I mean, they had a a nice early goal uh, from Ivan Provorov on the power play. They were generating tons of dangerous chances around Carey Price, and they were able to stretch Montreal's defense up and down, you know, 200 feet of the ice. Then the second period rolled around, and, and Montreal basically took uh, Philadelphia by the scruff of the neck and really laid a beating on them. Carter Hart for the Flyers had to be absolutely marvelous, and it was a very close, close period in which, you know, Philadelphia was basically just hanging on. They had that one nothing lead, and it was taking all that they could just to keep a hold of that lead and not surrender it, but Carter Hart was doing most of the heavy lifting. I'm not sure what exactly happened to the Flyers, but they really didn't wake up and snap to it. Uh, until the third period when Montreal ended up, I believe, scoring a power play goal off of Shea Weber. Although that, I don't remember if that was the end of the second period or the beginning of the third period. Either way, Montreal was really enjoying tying the game. And then like 20 seconds later, uh, Philadelphia scored from Joel Farabee and Philadelphia went into shutdown mode, which basically meant Montreal had very, very tough time getting up and down the ice and getting into a position to threaten Carter Hart. Now, Hart did have to make a couple more amazing saves, and right before the final whistle blew, I believe Brendan Gallagher rang off uh, a shot right off the crossbar. So, I mean, you know, you talk about close shaves for this Philadelphia Flyers squad. They came really close to not quite pulling this game out of the fire. I'm telling you, man, there's something about this Habs team that you just cannot seem to quite keep down. There was actually a 2-on-0 earlier in the game that Montreal was not able to take advantage of. I think because the ice was pretty choppy, Arturi Lekkinen was alone with somebody else, and Lekkinen ended up tripping while in possession of the puck. Just really unlucky. 
What I think is going to be a problem for the Flyers is if Montreal is able to get in Carter Hart's face again, if Hart has any sort of lapses in his tracking or movement or reads, it's going to be an issue because Montreal was buzzing around that low slot area, and Philadelphia really didn't seem like they had a great and firm grip on the game. That is going to be a very fun series, I have a feeling, and it's going to be one that could potentially go the distance. For tomorrow, we have Columbus and Tampa Bay going again at 3 p.m., hopefully not for another nine periods because I can't sit through two and a half games worth of hockey in a 3-2 win. I mean, that's just really miserable overall. Right after that, we have the second game of Chicago and Vegas at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, and then at 8 p.m. Eastern, Carolina versus Boston, and the final game of the evening is Calgary versus Dallas at 10.30 p.m. We'll have a recap of that probably tomorrow evening, at least some of those games, the ones that I'm awake for at least. So if you're interested, stick around and check it out. I thank you guys so much for listening. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thanks so much. Have a great night and go Jets go.